everyone. Hey everybody, it's Ben from Startup Chats. Hope you're well. Listen, today we've got Anne with us. And Anne, you'd have to forgive me, I'm not sure how to pronounce your surname properly. Is it Sieg or Sieg? Sieg. So it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. So Anne Sieg, yeah. fantastic. Um, and Anne, um, you are the um, CEO of e-commerce business school and also understand right. uh, CEO of Marketing Inc. So you got you know a lot about marketing and startups and all that sort of stuff. So that's fantastic. So let's just dive straight into it, really. Um, and and mm -hmm. just give you a little intro about you know about yourself. I, I know I've just done a very very brief intro, but I'm sure it's, it doesn't touch the surface, really. So yeah, just tell us about yourself and uh, introduce yeah. yourself to the audience. Um, so basically, my husband and I have owned a number of different businesses over the years. Um, ranging from our very first foyer was very minimal, but my husband had designed a dino kid growing chart. And this was as a result of, <clears throat> excuse me, our um, firstborn yep. who loved dinosaurs. And my husband was very artistic. I have to clear my throat one second. So sorry. Um, and so um, he designed this growing chart, <clears throat> which I thought was so beautiful that I said, let's go produce this thing. Amazing. And so basically we had it created through a company that we found at that time we lived in the border of St. Paul, Minnesota. So we had that created and we sold it to science museums throughout the country. Oh, wow. And most prominently at the local children's museum in St. Paul, Minnesota. That was a teeny, teeny little taste of entrepreneurialism. It didn't really turn into a, a company or a business. It was just kind of our first foyer. And so we always really enjoyed something outside the scope of having a nine to five job. Yeah. And it, we both have been very entrepreneurial. Um, so subsequently he did get into or started his own glass replacement business. So as far as a, a startup, it was basically he had gained that knowledge and then we, we broke off, so to speak. Well, yeah. first of all, he was hired by someone else, two other parties actually. And he, and he broke off to do it on his own. So we had that. Um, subsequent to that, I had been doing direct sales all through that time period uh, to date now spanning 40 years, but this is pre-internet. So direct sales means going door to door. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. And I also did- That's the hardest sales to do ever. It, and if anyone wants is. to learn to how to do sales, that is the way to do it. Literally go to a stranger, and convince them, you know, in person to, you know, to part with their money. It's, it's, it's a hell of a lesson. Yeah. Yes. It, and I actually liked it, but I was leveraging an existing brand. So it was a lot easier. It was Avon. Yeah. So that's simple compared to, oh, let me sell you encyclopedias. Let me sell yeah. you this vacuum cleaner, yeah. which my husband had done that, by the way, the vacuum cleaner deal lasted maybe a day or two. Um, but anyways, um, so I was doing direct sales and I really enjoyed it. I started when I was pregnant with my second child and I did a number of them. And this was back in the day of home parties and you would, you know, display your wares and you would talk about it and then people would line up and place orders. And um, it wasn't really until I came online in 2014, which basically the backdrop of that was, I came into yet another direct sales company but this time I came in more than just to make a little monthly side income to supplement the family. I wanted to go to for six figures. And that's what this company touted. They had a system for you to hit under $109,000 a year. I thought, oh man, sign me up. 
So I'm pretty um, outgoing and comfortable with the whole sales process. And I went out there and I started to do these health awareness seminars as a way of bringing them in via education, hosting these um, sessions. And then I would go into my material about these supplements we had and I sold a ton of products. It went really, really well. And I became a top seller in the state, got an award, etc. Um, but what I wanted was the duplicating growth by having other sales reps do this in like kind under me and then I would get paid for their commissions, a, a segment of it. You know, like what happens with, in a real estate office where there's the main broker, etc. That kind of model. Um, but I was challenge to create the expansion of that. So basically my startup was, was really more a path of problem solving that led to something completely different than I had planned because I, you know, in life and in business, you have problems and you got to solve them. Sure. So mine was, wow, I just can't seem to get the expansion and the traction that I need to really grow my organization. So my son, who was the one that sponsored me, he was 18 at that time. And I was basically, I always taught my boys entrepreneurialism. We homeschooled as well. And part of our curriculum was business. So they grew up doing an eBay business when they were kids. And That's fantastic. They would come to the real estate property. We got into real estate investment too. And so they would help with that and here do a bank deposit. And so I was always educating mm. them on these tasks because I thought, heck, this isn't just a mom and dad venture. No, 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 no. You can become a part of this venture and you too can learn how to make money. Well, it's really great. Yeah, I mean, we, the kids don't just learn this stuff, do they? They don't learn it at school. So it's, you know, they suddenly get kicked out into the big bad world and they go, yeah. you know, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> empty handed yeah. and not knowing that. Cause I really value real life skills over book knowledge any day of the week. 100%. Let's, you know, so with business, they were doing it they would help with the windshields. They would help with the real estate property. You know, I'd start teaching accounting to them. And so they were growing up in multiple businesses that our family had. So it was supernatural then when my son and I partnered up. Um, so there I was challenged and he said, mom, you should go online. You should go online. So I did. <laughs> and because I was trying to solve a problem and that changed my whole world that was 16 years ago yeah coming online and i haven't looked back since and now with COVID, it's been so fortuitous like i landed in the online lucky bucket you know which i'm so thankful and blessed for um having made that decision and stuck with it mm. so basically i came online um initially i learned consultative selling and it was a course that had a certification program attached to and I thought, oh, and, and the only reason I signed up for it is because you didn't get certified unless you had performance results. I thought, well, of course, I'm not interested in just hanging some certificate on the wall that has no real teeth behind it. And so I started learning consultative selling, which really then helped with online marketing, with sales copy and marketing pieces because you have to learn the natural thinking process of people from divergent thinking to convergent thinking and bringing them into this, this offer. So I had set that foundation. I ended up doing really well with that company. And so my son had subsequently gone his own path, learning affiliate marketing, et cetera. And I was starting to bust it out. And I said, you know, we should partner up again. I think we could 
we'll do better together than apart. So he brought his newfound internet marketing skills. I had mine. We teamed up um, in 2005 and we were an affiliate um, promoting someone else's program and we went from two to $90,000. So what launched that being that, you know, a lot of the conversations, how do you get to those big numbers? Um, it was, we were positioned to sell this other company's information product. My son got really good at Google AdWords and this was back in an era when it was easier. Direct response marketers could do their thing with uh, taking people to a squeeze page and that, all, that world changed a lot, you know, about 15 years ago. But I'll just say, so we got into list building. We're building a subscriber list and we're selling someone else's product, but we went from 2000 to $90,000 in three months primarily because we understood the metrics of profitability to, from the uh, direct response marketing to then funnel those profits right back into more ads. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You've so got that's the algorithm working, you got the ads, AdSense working, get yeah. the money in, put the ads out, and you got that, you know, that, that balancing and now it's out. Called, now it's called ROAS, return on ad spend. We didn't have that term back then that I recall. But in any case, so then we're going, hmm, wow, we had our own product. Whoa, look at this map. We mm -hmm. could make a whole lot more money. Mm -hmm. So we came out with a, a very advanced, it was a funnel. So it was a free ebook to a paid book that led to a back office. And with that offer, the back office came complimentary. Then we went to 2.5 million off of one ebook. Well, two ebooks that were free that led to the same paid offer. And you learn things over time when you're doing internet marketing. We didn't have this big back end with an Ascension funnel and all this. We referred people into other affiliate tools that they would need to do the same thing that we had just learned. And so and when we was this? How, how many years ago was this? That was 2007 to 2009 yep. when we had our own, we had 70,000 um, affiliates under us through our own program. So it was taking, you know, a lot of times in business, it's you, you, you look for points of leverage. Mm. And at the beginning, if you can find a point of leverage to, take advantage of as a business legitimately mm. go for it because to do the whole darn thing is to build a converting sales funnel is no easy feat. I'm just going to say it's not, especially with a paid offer, uh, paid cold traffic and cold traffic um, mm. into conversions. But anyways, all to say that was the real game changer built a subscriber list of 400,000 people and then came the Google slap. And so I heard about the Google it, slap. It was very painful. <laughs> I felt the slap. And I remember my stomach falling to the floor and just going, did the party just end? And, and in a sense, I have to admit, I had a heads up. This was because, 2009. Yes, it was. It was December 2nd, 2009. I remember it like yesterday. It was mm -hmm. a Wednesday night. I remember if I have that correct. But nonetheless, when we're in the windshield business, something very similar had happened you know, riding high in April and shut down in May. And that was, um, so we were getting our running ads through local papers, through the, all the suburbs of the Twin City Metro, and it was feeding us our leads to then go to these windshield replacements. Plus my husband had dealership accounts and several of them. But then the state of Minnesota came out with a new law 
And anytime you see a new law that has to do with the business, you can know for fact, a number of people's businesses will be destroyed. It doesn't matter what industry, it's just the nature of the beast. And so it's called the School of Hard Knocks. <clears throat> and back then we didn't have a website. This is like, oh, golly goodness, 25 years ago, I'm losing track. But yeah. um, so we, uh, they put out this new law that prohibited, it was basically kind of the idea of bird dogs, kickbacks, there's different names for it. It's basically a monetary, or the one guy who started the whole thing was you would get stakes. And this guy who really was the catalyst for all this is if you got the windshield replacement job with someone, you'd get, you know, money back. Referral, kind of yeah. You know, kickback basically yeah. kind of thing. And so it provided an incentive for the customer and for the uh, people in the dealerships, et cetera, in the service aisle. Well, they put the law down that prohibited that. And um, we couldn't even sell our customer list that we had built up over 12 years. That's how badly that law impacted our industry. And so when it happened, it was kind of like I was always bracing myself, you know, because it was like too good to be true. Like the glass thing, it was just mm -hmm. doing so well. And then there we are online, man, we're bringing in all these people every day. And then there was this nagging thing about too good to be true. And we knew we should have expanded into other advertising channels, but we we're, oh, we got to get the conversion rates even higher and, mm. you know, lesson learned. And this is the beauty of when you learn from someone who's been through a lot of hard knocks online, which I have, <laughs> that's one, which is as soon as you're able to get another traffic channel going, because you just never know. You're exposed on you ultimately. I beg your pardon? You're exposed, aren't you? And you, you know, when, you're, when you just, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether it's uh, one social channel or one referrer or one, you know, introducer or whatever it is, if, if you're just relying on a, a small pool of opportunity, then, you know, if that ever falls down, you know, you're very exposed. Even just, you know, one major customer, you hear it all the time with businesses, you know, you know, mm -hmm. manufacturing companies who, who have just a big, big, you know, uh, uh, customer and, you know, 70% yeah. of their business comes, you know, is generated from that one customer and then suddenly they go, boom, right? you know, and you yeah. know, they've leveraged themselves, they've got staff, they've got overheads, they've got bigger offices to expand and then suddenly, you know, that contract goes, what happens next? You know, you're, you're certainly, you know, could be left high and dry, even though, even though it's a good business and even though, you know, everything's That's running right. well. So I think it's... You've yeah. always got to have an eye on the, on, on the future and, and not get complacent. Yes. I think the moment you Absolutely. do, the moment you do, that's a dangerous place. It happened with COVID. We learned that with the pharmaceutical. Say what? How much is coming from China? Mm. Everyone was shocked. Well, mm. I had no idea. And over-reliance on one main country for sourcing, which my son lives in China and is a sourcing agent, the irony of it. Um, but that was a big lesson learned of, whoa, we're slightly overly dependent on that, you know, production source from China. And, and many other areas. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I think the whole world's starting to realize that a little bit. And um, yeah, the whole, you know, macro economics and geopolitical sort of uh, world's changing. But that's probably for another podcast, I'm sure. 
Um, so, so yeah, wow. So 2009 happened um, and Google changed their algorithm and obviously were aware of what was going on and lots of people hacking, whatever they're hacking, making great money. What, what did you do? What was the next step? Yeah, well, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, well, then it was the quest to get on Facebook. Now, I just want to preface this so people have a bigger frame and context. I was in an industry for which not only was it looked at, you know, people didn't like it in the offline world, that being direct sales, but in the online world for all the advertising channels, it was, we don't, you're not welcomed here which was, you know, MLM, network marketing, direct sales. We didn't know how much they despised that industry. And I think primarily because it ends up being a proliferation issue. And it also is... Just, just for the audience, you're talking about multi-layer marketing um, type, type marketing. Is that right? Yeah, it'd be like Amway is a well-known one, Herbalife. Yeah. Um, and so that was my niche when I first came yeah. online. I was trying to solve my problem in the offline world, which was not finding enough recruits, as they call it. Mm. And then it was to come online and learn how to generate leads to get recruits. But I did, what, did it through what's called a self-funded proposal, which means they basically paid me and then they became my lead to recruit. And it was, so I monetized that part of the, of the business that most people are clawing dirt to find, you know, new leads. And this is for every industry. It's for those that need leads, you know, um, for whatever it is. And so I learned to monetize it through what's now called a self-funded proposal by them basically liking my information marketing and the positioning that I had with it, that I was able to solve a problem for them because they were, they were, it was the same problem I had. So I was helping them solve that. But by default, because I was deemed the expert with my books, very often they wanted to join me. Hey, you got this down. This is what I've been wanting to do. You got it mastered. Let me follow you. So it was a beautiful, beautiful system and funnel, gorgeous. But then, of course, came that slap. So what I did is, well, as it turned out, Facebook doesn't like that industry either. <laughs> you know, and you have to kind of be more hide it down your offer, but then they'll go down into your offer and go, oh, no, we got you. We got mm -hmm. you by the tail. Get out of here, you know? And so, but basically how we survived during that season until I made my bigger pivot in 2013 is I had this big list with an audience that really valued my information. So I was referring people to a lot of other programs a lot of other programs and believe it or not i mean that carried me and a team of about 10 people for eight years oh, wow. without really very many leads coming in so it was kind of a scorched earth drought season and try as we may you know organic takes a lot longer to like you get spoiled when you get um a highly converting funnel on cold traffic, it's like a gumball machine to buck out. Right now I'm at six over six to eight um, ROAS um, with my YouTube funnel that you just put in a dollar and out comes six bucks on the other end, just like that. Mm. So you're golden, but you're reliant on that 
platform. So organic takes a lot longer. We're working on the blog and we're trying to get on these other platforms. But basically, um, we got really, really skilled at list segmentation and structuring our own offers as well as um, promoting other people's offers. So we were launching constantly. <laughs> I have done hundreds of, of marketing funnels and product launches that it's been at a dizzying rate, but and never would I encourage people that path. That was only because I was trying to keep the lights on, so to mm. speak, because I didn't have that daily consistent lead flow into conversions. And so call it lean years of learning how to really live by your, your wits, your ability to structure offers that would convert webinar funnels, you know, Ascension funnels, live events, you name it. I, I did them all in that season. Then things really changed in 2013 when I shifted into e-commerce. It was probably the best thing I've done since I came online. And was that, um, uh, again, selling somebody else's product or was this, were you now thinking about developing your own product? That's a great question. <laughs> You're smart. Um, actually, no, I'm a trainer. So I sell training. Uh, I mean, I'm chief, I'm, I'm primarily a marketer. But what I market is training and mentorship, just to qualify that. So on my team, I'm the marketer. I design the funnels, et cetera. So that's always been my wheelhouse coming in line is selling information products, but really shifting more prominently into training and mentoring in the education space. Mm. So Which that's, is a huge, that's what I huge sell. market. Oh, and and, and so certainly best. now, you know, when everyone's been locked down, they just want to get access to information and, and then how to do things. Yeah, it's a uh, COVID has been whew, flung the doors wide open. That I, I was kind of like, this is gonna be interesting. And do you I, I some, yeah. Sorry, Anne, I was gonna say, do you specialize in any particular area of training, or um, yes. do you see any particular area of training that's in the real high demand? Yeah, so back to the did I leverage someone else? I did, and it was all again as a solving a problem. And one of my teammates, the one who actually was my first online mentor and coach from 2014, he said, Ann, I'm testing this, this e-commerce with, you know, flipping products from Amazon to eBay and it's working. I said, wow, we had an eBay business. The boys did in junior high and high school. So I told my husband, he said, I still got my eBay account. He tried it. He's making money in about a week. I'm like, well, hot diggity dog. I think I can have my people shift into something for which they can get results a lot faster than teaching them to build sales funnels. Because that's my main competency. And then teaching others, but they're in that same industry that it was hard to mm. be approved, you know? Mm. So in any case, we shifted. My members got immediate results and they just started taking off. And what it was is I was promoting another training company, just like I had when I first came online, because it was all by happenstance. It was actually an MLM that taught e-commerce. So I thought, heck yeah. So we did. And in five months, I was the top producer. I won a Jaguar. And it's like, whole brave new world. Bring it on. <laughs> but we had so much developed for the years leading up to that, that we were able to run so fast, we basically outpaced that company because I had gotten real accustomed to delivering events. So within a year or two, 
I was doing up to 18 events a year on e-commerce from my own community. And then that company ended up petering out, which I'm just going to say, that's all I've ever seen from that industry. The direct sales, they come and they go and they come and they go and they come and they go and people jump from one green pasture land to the next to the next and they're just jumping from one mm. lily pad to the next mm. and they rarely ever settle down and grow roots. So I was kind of glad to just be, okay, that's done. Mm. I'm done with that industry. God bless, it, you know, it served me really well and I served a lot of people, but now it was e-commerce. So with regard to the specialty. So we've taught everything from arbitrage on up to private label and sourcing from China. We did that for six years. Last November and December, we stepped back and we did a hard evaluation of everything we were doing. And we're like, you know what? We're tapped out. We can't stay on top of every single method and be the expert at this whole chain of they're basically different sourcing methods mm. pretty much all focused around amazon that we've taught print on demand and we've taught um shopify i'm like guys we got to trim this down and so mm. here's the big shift and this is huge and it may really resonate with potentially some listeners i had been so accustomed to the sales funnel start low ebook bring them through an Ascension funnel. And we built this beautiful Ascension funnel. We had Facebook going, Facebook was drying up, this being with the e-com space. And it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous Ascension funnel. Beautiful, all dialed in, because we had done it so many times over. So like we can, we can build fast and run fast. But the biggest shift now was last year saying, you know what, it was actually, I was looking at someone's program, they gave this consultation and he said, you know, you should just have that 3K of yours be the front end offer. I was like, duh. I had a 20K as it was that I was promoting to my old list. That was taking them in. It wasn't a cold audience, but from no ebook, no front end, just straight to a 20K. And I'm like, well, sometimes when you're so in the throes of your own business, you can't see objectively enough where an outsider can go, here how come yeah not there definitely definitely it's really interesting you say that I, I um i think well we see it all the time um in terms of our um we've got a marketing agency as well and uh is and, and so we see all the time with clients they're almost too close to it to see what it's right. all about but equally what was interesting when um i'm working on, on, a, on a tech startup and um you know, somebody who does branding and, and things all the time, I was really struggling in my own mind, you know, trying to sort of drill, drill something down to something very easily explainable when, you know, you think somebody who's, who does it all the time can, can do it, no problem, but actually when it's yours yeah. and you're so close to it and maybe you've been working on it for years and years, you sometimes just really struggle and you need almost that outside influence just to give you a bit of direction or a different perspective, different angle, different point of view. And I think that can yes. be so, so invaluable. Yeah, it's kind of like you're in your own room with the lighting only at a certain level. And this other, this outside individual comes in and it was just like, ding, you know, this big light bulb goes off and I'm just like, dang, I should have known that, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, 
I, that's in my wheelhouse. I should have known that. Yeah. And so basically I told the team, I said, we're doing this. We're taking it front end. You know, my commitment was made just like that. And at that time we were getting into, here's another hard lesson learned that I, I you know, through 16 years of doing this was, um, huh, advertising agencies. <laughs> so I've been through a lot of them. <laughs> I've been through a lot of them. And so I was getting really frustrated because uh, it has to do with the congruency of them really being able to understand your funnel, your audience. It just, there's a lot of, I mean this respectfully, fly by night advertising oh, 100%, 100%. agencies. 100%. There's all sorts on, on digital. Thank I mean, you. I guess, the, I guess the reality is there's all sorts in, in any industry. Um, in any industry. But yeah, it, it's one of those one. challenges. But I think the problem with digital is it's easy to bamboozle people. That's yes. the problem. That is the problem. And it's just like my team and I were getting so sick of it because every time you've got to, you know, set up all the tech to be able to have the interface and then you got to educate them on the funnel. And, then, and before you know it, I mean, I can read the writing on the wall really fast, having been in this space for so long, like, dude, this dude oversold me. He doesn't have what it takes. And almost the more they brag on themselves and even in that call, you know, because mm. my copywriter, he and I have talked about this. He said, yeah, and I go strictly by referral now. Mm. And the more they're selling themselves, themselves. And so anyways, so there was that. And so we got into this YouTube mentoring program. I'm like, okay, I got a team member who's qualified to do that because he's got a lot of, um, um, you know, direct response, paid advertising background, keywords, etc. So he was like, yeah, I'm all over it, and sign me up. That was a game changer. Excellent program. And we're getting the conversions through the pipeline, but we weren't converting them into the sales. So this is an application funnel, by the way. So I'm just telling folks, I went from an up ascension funnel to a straight to it's now a 5K because of significant enhancements we made to the program. So in any case, um, so we're testing like crazy and crazy. I bring in someone else. Can you see? She throws in every testing idea possible. Couldn't get it to convert. And it was as we changed the video ad and the CTA, the call to action, and the copywriting, et cetera, and the videography, boom. As soon as that thing went live, and it was the first week of April, just took off. We nailed it. So all to say, that speaks to that whole thing of setting up your funnel and then you got to drive the traffic through it and it costs money and that's your angst is you got to fight bringing in the funds to then fund the testing mm -hmm. so i was still in the grind mode of having to push out multiple offers to get the funds to test this little mm -hmm. sucker till it would have its breakthrough and it also goes to show how important um more than just the the technical side of Trying to, trying to get traffic, the, the important side is also the creative side. You know, you said you changed the ad, you changed the copy, you know, and then suddenly that really took off. So again, people can be very technical and know what they're doing, but fundamentally, if it's a poor ad, it's a poor ad. You know, it yes. might be perfectly optimized, but actually if it's poor copy, you know, poorly constructed, not targeting the right audience, not speaking to the audience in the right way, then it just won't convert. So that's interesting. There's, Sorry, I, I didn't pick so up. Many. Yeah, yeah, I didn't pick up at the beginning. So what was this particular product you, you were doing now? Um, so what were you trying yes. to sell? Okay, so all these pain points that I've been talking about, 
mean, there's been a few of them and I've been able to, you know, through wherewithal, stamina, perseverance, you know, you, bar you bust through them. All that is 100% mitigated, ironically, with what I teach my people, which is, guess what? You don't have to worry one bit about sales and marketing. Big X over it, which is what I deal with every day. Say what? What is that? It's the world's biggest sales machine. It's Amazon.com. So that's a major selling point for people who are struggling with building sales funnels is, and I've seen this debated by, it ended up as a thread, a whole bunch of internet marketers that I know. And then the smartest guy, well, I thought, I'm just going to watch and see what people say. Because this gal said, what's the fastest way to get started with the funnel today? And I'm just watching them. That kind of going to be interesting. One guy walks in, Amazon. They already built the funnel. Just take advantage of their funnel. You just supply the products. Okay, so there's that piece. But what we teach and where we landed in our wheelhouse, following our three pillars of e-commerce success, which is generate cash flow. Everyone can sign up for that one. Like, yeah, preach it, sister. And the second one is to build systems. And, uh, and then the last one is assets. And so you're going to have that cash flow. You're going to build systems. And by doing that, you're going to build assets. So um, we landed with where the best place to start is with arbitrage. Okay. And I want to be really clear on this because perspective is everything. I know you can go read a sales letter on private label and you can read one on Shopify and you can, you can go out and read all these sales letters and be completely persuaded into this is the best one. Yeah, yeah. But you as a naive, unsuspecting buyer have no context of the pros and cons of each one of those models. Shopify, for example, you darn well better know how to generate traffic and convert it into sales. Oh, what's that you say? You've never done that before? Welcome to a huge learning curve. Them's the facts. So with arbitrage, on the other hand, which is the complete antithesis of Shopify, where you're on your own to generate that traffic, with arbitrage, the beauty of it is, and it is, it can't be impressed upon enough, you're selling stuff that's already got the data. And whoever has the most number of data points wins in this game. And that being, is it a hot selling product, high velocity? What are the profit margins? Oh, what's that competition? How many other sellers are there? You can get all that data up front, which allows you then to make a highly calculated buying decision. It's just like in real estate or anything else. Real estate has far more risk, a longer turn cycle and all these kind of things. Um, whereas with arbitrage, it's, it's just so reliable and dependable. Mm -hmm. So we've been teaching it for seven years. And we perfected that process such that it looks like this in a 90 day sprint, we can set someone up with a profitable automated e-commerce business in 90 days. Now I remember reading that kind of copy in the past and I go, yeah, right, whatever, baloney. Okay. So automated, and this is why, because we give the systems and then you have a team who runs those systems for you. And we teach you that part too. So literally, and one gal did it in 31 days, um, but I should probably step back and explain what arbitrage is. So I'm gonna guess people are going, what's that word? Please do, please do. Okay, so arbitrage is a very, very simple model and it happens all over the world every single day. It's basically taking advantage of price differentials in the marketplace. 
So when you drive down the street and you see a difference in gas prices, I don't want to say that's arbitrage, but there's definitely price differentials. Yeah. Okay, you could walk into Walmart, and this would be local retail arbitrage. There's local and then there's online. Local would be, you bring in your old smartphone and it's got the Amazon seller app on it and you scan the products in there and you look at your phone and there's all the data points and you go, hmm, profit's good. Sales velocity rank looks awesome. Oh, there's only three sellers? Into the basket it goes. And so that's um, at its purest form, local retail arbitrage. We've had people who have quit jobs, they buy new houses, they buy new cars, the whole family joins in the enterprise. It's big money. It can be small or it can be really big. Depends on what you want to do with it. Mm. So that means you buy, um, let's just, here's an example. So I bought this at Walgreens, if I remember right. So conceivably, I would scan this and there would be the price. And then what happens when you scan it with your, the Amazon seller app, it's looking for that to be retrieved, the data from the Amazon catalog. So this exact item may or may not be on the Amazon catalog. Um, if it is, it's, gonna, it's a microsecond and there you are. Well, I'll be darned. Man, it's got a 40% markup on Amazon. So we teach people all how to interpret the data and make sure you're doing it in a wise way. Now, when you do it online, it's all done by VAs, virtual assistants, you know, at a sixth of American wages. So it's very, um, it's a very scientific approach. It's yeah. not, I'm going to say private label. If you're sourcing from China, you're looking at a six to nine month project. Does the yep. world change? Does the marketplace change in six to nine months? It sure does. So you're making so a much recently. bigger risk. Yeah, it has recently. Big risk <laughs> calculation. Arbitrage, you can get that sold when it lands in the warehouse. Mm. It can be sold that day, depending on the velocity, et cetera. And of course, there's huge advantages for, for people in terms of for all business owners who don't have to hold stock and they can just uh, you know, get all that sort of process automatically done with never even having to hold the actual, you know, the purse or whatever it is. Um, actually, one question I have though is, is, is there, um, and again, I'm, 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 I haven't done it myself, so I, I don't know uh, the intricacies of it. Is, is there a danger that with so many entrants into this space that the competition just gets too big um, and then the profit margins are just squeezed? Um, and then would the next logical move, if, if somebody wants to stay in e-commerce, be to actually create their own product and, and, and sell it and create a brand? Very astute questions. Number one, when we first came in, I was partnering with my son at that time. Uh, he left the business about four years ago, but we both were like, okay, how long is this gonna last though? What about saturation? And now as internet marketers, saturation is always a concern because the shelf life of information marketing, some it's only three months and sorry, that's already been, that software's changed and this and that, your little book you wrote about it or whatever. And so in the IM space, saturation is a very serious and legitimate concern. So my son and I come in into Amazon, we're like, hmm, yeah, okay. So we sit there and put in our effort, we create the marketing to sell this, but man, is this gonna be gone in a, a year or two? Okay, so that was seven years ago. Amazon just experienced- <laughs> so good, yeah, Amazon, it, it keeps growing and growing, but now it got a 38% growth boost. Yeah, um, what was it? Um, three, oh man, $3 million per hour through the Amazon buy button. 
during those critical COVID quarantine times in March and April. But um, that was my main concern shifting into this. I thought, man, I don't want to get into training this. And then Amazon gets saturated. It's not saturated. Amazon was so overwhelmed with products and, and um, I should say sales volume requests. They actually, during March, said uh, only five categories. FBA selling only five categories because we're running out of space and time to process all these sales. They were absolutely inundated and they continue to be. And so the good news is it just keeps getting better and better. The antithesis of what I was worried about when I first started, we're going to sell Amazon. But to answer your second question is yes, indeed, just like what I taught my members in the attraction marketing space is what we call it. You would start by leveraging, say, someone else's affiliate program because instead of you having to create the product and market it, no, the way I started is I was marketing someone else's product first. And I got my financial bearings underneath me. And then I used that as a catalyst to launch into my own products. That's how it works, staircasing, so to speak, stair-stepping. And so in the Amazon spaces, yes, then once you've mastered this and you have your consistent cash flow, and you, I mean, I'm talking automated cash flow because you've got a team running it for you and you're bringing in whatever you wanted that to be. Now you've got the business that you, yeah, let me go to private label. Let me go to print on demand. Let me start bringing in my own product to the marketplace. But if you don't have, unless you've got a huge reserve of cash, which most people don't, you know, you're far more wise. And plus you learn the schools, mm. how Amazon grooms you up. Because I'm going to tell you, there's no one better to school you on how to be an online e-commerce seller than Amazon. They have the biggest reporting system in the world for sellers mm. to learn what smart data to have. They train you in their school, if you want to look at it that way, mm. kind of is, it's like training wheels. It's training wheels. Think of it that way. And you get, thank you, Jeff Bezos, I'm going to do this for 54% of their volume and more. And so then, yeah, go into where, because I don't like anyone ever left hung to dry with the risk of what if. Mm. And like we said right at the beginning, you know, never leave yourself exposed to just the one channel. So I think get to that That's point right. as soon as you possibly can. That's right. Get that cash flow coming in and then start thinking about, you know, maybe creating your own white label products and creating a brand because that's really exactly. where I think long-term value will be for people yes. actually creating a business uh, right. a long and a business is really based on creating a brand um, yeah. and building that brand and, and that has then equity within it effectively so exactly. I, think, I think the danger is that I, I, I'm, and again I don't know for sure but I'd imagine there's a lot of um, um, Amazon sellers out there who are just are just are just all this wheel and they're not looking elsewhere and they're just that's right they're, they're having a great time but yeah one can never assume it's always going to be there or well, that opportunity might just get shut down by bezos who knows well and i look at it as this it's just like when in network marketing you're nothing more than you know you're a cog in their wheel mm, 100%. and you know and you don't own the list your organization you download the MLM does. Yeah. The same thing is true of Amazon. And so the astute seller would use this again as a point of leverage. Mm. Let me get that cash flow going. But let me become independent for the long run with yeah, the brand, so. which I'm going to just say print on demand through Amazon is a beautiful way to do that because you can test your print on demand brand. 
that's your brand and those branded products and then start leveraging into Shopify and start expanding your cold traffic. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And, um, and is that also part of the things that you sort of teach and, and, and educate with your students, is it? Yes, yep, that's after, we start with that as our main point of entry mm. because it sets their foundation. And to your point about that, some are, they're all happy and, and I look at it and some, they, they're, hey man, I'm loving my retail arbitrage business and that's all they're doing. Yeah. But I always say, because I want to strengthen people and help them be independent for the what if, because mm. it's happened in just about every industry I've been in. Yeah. It's <laughs> the what if happens. <laughs> don't, we don't want to be making that mistake three times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like got to learn, learn from the two is enough. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, um, so what's the future then for your, for your business? Where, where do you see it evolving? How, what the next steps you, you, do you plan to take? Yeah, we are just now revamping what used to be our previous Ascension funnel from where we take them. We just powwowed on it this morning to set a mastermind of they get through that first 90 days and check the box. You're setting them up systems. Check the box. You're setting up VAs. Way to go. Get the grunt work offset. You know, check the box. And then we move them into what the next natural organic piece would be in their business development. Um, but to build this, so we, we have them start with, okay, let's get you to your first 10K. Uh, let's now get you to your first 100K. Uh, let's get you to your first million. So we're now redeveloping our back end because we're now starting them at that high level mentorship straight out of the gate, getting great success. So we're at that phase of our development and we've got everything there. It's just restructuring it. Yeah, refining it and, and tweaking it where it needs to be. How exciting. Well, brilliant. So would you, before we, um, we, we wrap up, could you share maybe a few ideas, a few tips that you may give to somebody who's thinking about starting their own e-commerce business? What, what tips, what strategies, what would you suggest that they do or read or other than obviously well, getting in contact with yourself? <laughs> well, I, I do really, from having done this for seven years now, I do recommend the arbitrage method first. Now, someone may be just bravely turned off by that. Um, and they're like, I'm not going to mess with that. But underpinning that really, the reason we develop the way it is, is we look for the points of failure that people have. So here's my tip, because I've worked with tens of thousands of people worldwide on this stuff for last 15 years, is they're trucking along in their business and then, oh, life hits them. Grandma's going into the nursing home. Oh, son has this, this happened, this, that. Stuff happens mm. and they're no longer staying consistent in their business. And as we've studied our student body, that's what we see as one of the major things like, man, she's doing so well. And then, you know, so this is why the underpinning is really about getting the foundation set of systems and teams from the get-go, from day one. It's not like you don't learn to do it as well, otherwise you have a business you don't even know how to really run and operate as the CEO of your business. But I want people to have that outlook that be thinking like in, you know, cash flow quadrant, right? With Robert Kiyosaki and getting in the B quadrant. Begin with the end in mind that you can have a true business that you can walk away from, be gone a month, like he says, and one that you can sell so that you can get into the true I quadrant, which is the investment quadrant, rather than stepping into e-commerce as a glorified S, solepreneur, 
but some people, I, I have members who are very happy with that. So I don't mean to diss on it, mm. but if you want a true lifestyle business and that's, um, uh, more, uh, how do I say bulletproof, more bulletproof, begin with the goal to have it as a true B business. And you're going to need systems and teams in place to run your business for you. Thinking that way from day one, otherwise you're just tapped into a new grind, which is some, I have a lot of people who truly love. I just interviewed a gal. She just loves doing the work. I don't want to give it to someone else. I love it. Okay. I get it. You know, and that's fine to each his own, you know? Um, but I would definitely encourage that. I also believe in um, very firmly in mitigating the number of variables that you have to consider that further complicate your business. And so when it comes to e-commerce, I'm just going to say, you start with Shopify, you got a whole lot more variables that are more opportune for you not hitting success quickly and even in the long run. Some people will never master cold traffic. I'm just being honest here. Some well, people will never master it, it. At least with Amazon, you, you've got an audience there straight away. You don't have to find them. Um, yeah. And, and, it's, it, and for a lot of people, you know, unless they are willing to put a lot of the ad spend behind it, then they're going to really struggle to find, find the traffic. You know, that's the bottom line. Um, you've got to get the brand and they've got to build the brand on Spotify. That's and the build the brand and you can miss the mark. 100%. That can happen. 100%. All that after, unless you really know how to do thorough market research. So it really depends on where someone is at in their own personal life mm. for me to give the tips and strategies. But overall, I've seen it with a gentleman who's one of our clients. He sold his eyewear business in millions. Okay. He comes into our community. He wanted the easiest path. And here he was, this high top performer, businessman, push me in. So what I hear from that, I was like, really? You're a high performer. You want to be pushed? Because he was entering a new industry. And so he was looking for, and we gave it to him, that direct mentorship and accountability, even mm. that. And I'm like, wow, a top producer like you. And so, you know, it's what people, what we have seen overall is that accountability and that mentoring and what it does is it dramatically accelerates your progress instead of if they say, no, I'm going to go face down. I'm just going to go from video to video and kind of surf around. It's going to be just a lot longer path because you don't have that clearly laid out step-by-step -step progression. I think, I think that's the thing, isn't it? There can be, you can learn a lot from having that support. Um, um, you know, a lot of people do want to just do it themselves and make the, their own mistakes and go on their own path right. and go on their own journey, which is fine. But like you just touched on, I think it just takes a lot longer. Um, and, you know, if you do go down the route of working with a mentor, however, whatever shape and form that takes, so that could be something you pay for, it might be a, a friend, it might be, you know, somebody you've developed a relationship with or whoever. And if you can get somebody to, Give you a little steer that's just ultimately going to speed that process up but um do you, just out of interest and do you find um um i don't well i don't know actually the first question is do you get people from all over the world that come to you and and, and if so who are most open to mentorship would you say i missed the first part of your question that who come from what yeah um d does um do you get people coming to you um from all over the world Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Or thank do you. you, um, uh, you know, or do you sort of predominantly focus on just uh, people in America? I would say most of our ad spend is in the U.S. Now, yeah. when we taught with our front-facing ads, local retail arbitrage, we pretty much stuck to that exclusively. Yeah. But with online arbitrage, that can be anywhere in the world. 
with the caveat they have to live in a country where you can set up an Amazon yeah. business. And that's yeah. not, not every country has that yeah. capability. So you have, that would be a very important qualifier there. And, and with um, your students, so you're saying your students are, are all US based? Primarily, I mean, we have, we have a lot of UKers actually, Canadians, um, other countries, but not as many. Yeah. I'm guessing we just aren't running ads to the, I don't run the ad department, but I'm pretty sure we have very limited yeah, outside yeah. that. Now, the only, the only reason I'm asking, I'm just curious to know, um, you know, whether it's a cultural thing, whether in America that people are much more willing to pay for a, a mentor, um, whereas or whether it, it's, it's not a cultural thing, it's just where your ad spend ha happens to be, whether there's plenty of people, for example, in the UK, who may want to and, and oh. be willing to pay for mentorship. But, um, what I've seen UK is actually even more wide open territory, so to speak. And even from my past industry where people went, oh, UK is, they want it. I mean, I will say most of I am, it, it has grown from the US and then, you know, it, it develops outward from there and, and more and more prolifically as time goes on. Mm. But um, the innovation, and, and I don't mean to be speaking under a narrow channel bubble, but that's to my understanding. I mean, you got Jeff Walker, you got Frank Kern, you got, you know, the big I am people have come primarily from the US, at least mm. from the ignition of online marketing. And it's such a big market, onset, course, I should in, say. in the States. So, you know, why, why wouldn't you focus on that predominantly to begin with anyway? Yeah. So it makes complete sense. Um, but, um, and with, with your on online courses, um, is it all online or do you do physical sort of uh, um, events? We've done a lot of events up 18 a year, and then this thing came along called COVID. So we did our, our last live event was course, in yeah. Dallas. Yeah. And, and we love our live events and meeting our members. And then we're supposed to have one in June. I said, well, obviously that one wasn't going to take place. Yeah. But then we have our ultimate business lifestyle retreat. Would have been this month in Estes Park, Colorado. And I'm like, guys, states are starting to, you know, so it's kind of gotten to where, you know what, this year, that's just like yeah, happen. yeah, no, for sure. But for we sure. do like live events. Yeah. So, so you, so you have a mixture of both online training courses and real world events. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, well, we other did, than recently, yeah. We did a, a virtual, so it's called Trifecta. Yeah. It's a three-day yeah. event, which we've done for like three years, and it's like, well, we'll do it virtual. And I have to say, I mean, I saw Tony Robbins; he had like twenty thousand with his. Yeah. But I have to say. Um, it went spectacularly well. Brilliant. And even such that people were able to hang around afterwards and do their masterminding yeah. together, like what happens at live events. We were kind of awestruck as a staff that the training was definitely imparted as well, maybe even better because people are more focused without distraction. I'm not sure, but it went much better than we imagined. And I've spoken with peers who have reported the same thing. It's not to say we won't go back to live. But right now, it's just, I don't want to get it all set up and then, oh, that state's clamping down now, you know? Mm, mm, no, definitely. So. No, it's, it's really interesting because I know there's been, you know, a huge number of online courses that you see, you know, whether it's for digital marketing or this or whatever. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a really nice um, way that you approach it by not just having that digital course, right. but also a... A real community that you can actually do events oh, with and, and, and meet and connect. Yeah, community hit the nail on the head because I think yeah these you know online events and online courses are, are great, 
and they have their place, whether it's a webinar or whatever. But if you can build that community and actually have those real world experiences with your community as well, I mean, that just, that, that's brand building. You know, that's, that's community I'm building. Gonna, I wanna leverage off of that because here's what we're seeing for our people who come through 90 day peak is then they say, oh, but I wanna be with my mastermind group which is once a week, they also get, um, they have access to four small group coachings per week, but that one particular mastermind. So what's happening, and it's, I've always encouraged it, is to build your network of business peers. They're doing that by virtue of, it's, there's a mastermind group page, and then there's also the mastermind live experience in Zoom. And they're, they're doing this. Love it. That's what they need. That's mm. what your future rests on, is you've got these peers who are on the same path and journey. And one tip from him, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you told me that's what you did when you, you know, whatever tip. Mm. So we've, I've always built my um, programs always on community because I love community. It's my, I'll always have a community. I love working with people. It's mm. my thing. Yeah, you so. can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, brilliant. And listen, I think um, my one last question went on a bit longer, but that's, uh, <laughs> that was fascinating. Um, and listen, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. That's been brilliant. Um, love to get you back on the podcast in the future. Sure. We'd and, love to. Uh, fantastic. And, um, and of course, anyone who's listening, please do um, check out Anne. Uh, we'll leave some links um, on the descriptions and, uh, and check out the e-commerce business school, um, of course. And, uh, and of course, don't forget to give uh, five-star reviews only, please. Subscribe and we'll do all those amazing things. But uh, thanks so much for listening, guys, and take care for now.